Welcome to The World in 10, analysis and insight into world events from the Times of London with me, Eleanor Shearwood and Sonal Patel. Lots on the pod for you today, including the drone attack on Moscow. The Ukrainians insist it wasn't them and Djokovic is at it again, this time at the French Open. And we're giving you an excuse, as if you need one, to eat more chocolates. Now, Moscow is calling this a terror attack, and they're blaming, unsurprisingly, I guess, the Ukrainians. Well, let's be honest, facts on this are pretty scarce. It's believed the drone attack targeted some of Moscow's wealthiest areas. That's including a western zone where Putin and members of Russia's elite have residences. And beyond that, really, there's little else other than the eight drones were shot down by Russia's air defences. Now, the Ukrainians say it wasn't them, although one spokesman did say they were pleased to watch it all unfold and predicted more such attacks. And logistically... It's kind of unlikely the drones were fired from Ukraine, given the distance. The Ukrainian border is some hundreds of miles away. So who was it? Former Foreign Secretary William Hague told Times Radio there are possible indications. We are seeing a pattern recently of groups that are aligned with Ukraine taking action on their own. So I think that's more likely the situation. Hard to have any sympathy with the Russians, though. They launch hundreds of drones and missiles against Ukrainian cities and then say that something like what's just happened is a terrorist attack. It's an utterly hypocritical position. Yeah, rich indeed. William Haig referring there to the bombardment of Kyiv. There have been air raids there three nights in a row. And the Ukrainians say that each time they're dealing with at least 20 drone strikes, if not more. Maxim Tucker's The Times reporter on the ground in the capital. Well, Putin has been remarkably absent from the discussion about this. Putin has not responded to the attacks, which include uh, drone strikes over his neighbourhood. And he's also been completely silent about the incursion by Russian partisans inside Russia, inside the Belgorod border region, uh, which is really quite remarkable. And he's facing quite severe criticism now from some military circles, including Yevgeny Prigozhin. Prigozhin is the founder of Wagner Mercenary Group, and he issued an expletive-laden a statement today, uh, really very strong language against the Russian Ministry of Defence, saying they should be fired from their jobs, asking what they were doing. And Igor Strelkov, the man who orchestrated Putin's 2014 hybrid invasion of Ukraine, has suggested that a coup to remove Putin is underway. Let's set the scene. You live in China, but you're against the government and feel quite unsafe living there. But you hear the UK is a safe haven and decide to relocate. What you don't realise is that all your personal details are still being shared with the Chinese government. Yeah, that's exactly what The Times has uncovered. So both countries signed up to an international tax agreement to stop tax evasion, essentially. It means they can share information about nationals living in each other's countries. All well and good, but there is nothing really in place 
to stop more autocratic governments from exploiting this information. Exactly, and it's led to worries that China is keeping tabs on its activists who are living here in the UK and in other countries too. It's not exactly like this hasn't happened before. As recently as April, the Times was reporting on so-called secret police stations. These are basically covert police operations run in the UK and other countries which intimidate dissidents from China. Now, the Times investigations reporter George Greenwood gave us some context. If you've got parents or family members back in China or Hong Kong, there's a lot of pressure informally that you put on them, either to shut you up or, or to ask you to come home. And this is a problem with, with these international treaties, that sometimes you're treating non-rule of law countries as countries where there is the rule of law. Unfortunately, in China, you know, influence can be put in government at any levels. It really all poses the question as to how far this influence extends. Now, whether you know Imran Khan as the ex-Prime Minister of Pakistan or as a former cricketer, it's more than likely you do know Imran Khan. And The Times has been hearing from him directly. Yeah, it's been a pretty intense time for him, to say the least. Mm. Um, He was ousted from government last April. And in the last few weeks, there have been protests sparked by his arrest which has resulted in thousands of his supporters being jailed. Not just that, but dozens of people from his PTI party have left and the party itself could be banned. And there's a real danger Khan himself could end up back in court. But despite all of this, he still seems defiant. The Times piece opens describing how tired he looks and fidgety and how he's speaking from a makeshift studio in his flat. And yet this is his message. We are fighting for our freedom. Democracy for us means freedom. Right now, our democracy is being dismantled. What is happening is extreme dictatorship and this total uh, uh, what should I, show of naked power. You're asking me that I would step back and allow myself to live as a slave, a slave of those who are in power. I cannot imagine living in a country which is enslaved by the powerful. This is interesting because he's convinced that he'll be targeted for assassination soon, that he's scared for his wife. Yeah, the whole piece offers brilliant insight on his life and it's well worth a read. It's up on the Times website now. It's the French Open going on at the moment, but the talk is less about tennis, really, and more about politics, thanks to this man. Novak Djokovic, of course, he won his first round easily. But enough about tennis, it's his comments after the match that are getting all of the headlines. Yeah, Djokovic is really no stranger to controversy. Uh, He sparked a major political backlash after writing on a TV camera lens uh, that Kosovo is the heart of Serbia. He was calling for peace, but the region is, at the moment, a bit of a tinderbox. So, if you don't know much about the history, Kosovo declared independence from Serbia 15 years ago. Albanian is the main ethnicity there. It's recognised as a state by the UK and the US, although Serbia still sees it as part of its territory. 
Therein lies the problem with Djokovic's words. Yeah, Djokovic is clear. He's not making a political statement, at least not intentionally to provoke, he says. Uh, So this is in response to what's happening in northern Kosovo, where NATO peacekeeping troops were injured in clashes with Serbian protesters. The Times tennis correspondent Stuart Fraser, who's at the tournament in Paris, says diplomats in Kosovo are furious. You know, a lot of people from Kosovo unhappy. Petrid Salimi, the, the former uh, Minister of Foreign Affairs, uh, wrote that Djokovic has a history of support for, for Serbian nationalist causes. And by doing this, and he, he would have known this before, so he, he's clearly content with it. Um, he, he was at risk of sparking a, a political backlash, and, and, and that's what's happened. Now, we haven't heard one way or another, but it is unlikely any action will be taken against Djokovic for all this by French Open organisers. There aren't really any specific rules as such covering political statements in the Grand Slam rulebook. I'm joined now by The Times foreign editor, Mike Smith. What pieces have you got in the pipeline? Well, there's going to be a parade of a different sort at Disneyland Paris today. Uh, More than a 1,000 staff at the entertainment park are protesting along Main Street. Uh, They say that the pay they get is not enough to keep pace with the cost of living and they're demanding a huge pay rise from Disney itself. Okay, Sonal, how do you keep your mind sharp? My mind is never sharp. Uh, Probably, (laughs) uh, I'd say coffee. Nice. I myself am partial to the odd Sudoku, but apparently dark chocolate can help as well. It's high in something called flavanols, which can be also found in black tea, apples and berries, much less exciting. But before you get too happy about the opportunity to eat as much chocolate as possible, unfortunately, it doesn't apply to everyone. We're talking about a study here that found for most people it made very little difference unless your diet was very bad in the first place. I'm still reeling from the Sudoku comment, (laughs) uh, which begs the question, Eleanor, which chocolate? Funny you should ask, because that's the exact question we posed to the Times science editor, Tom Whipple. He told us what chocolate he goes for. Double-deckers, and I suspect that contains very, very little in the way of flavanols. I think probably you need to get the the lint 80% stuff to get your flavanols. Not entirely sure. Double-deckers, as nice as they are, are dark chocolate. Mm. Obviously... Other brands are available. On that note, I'm going to go and find some now. That's it for today's World in 10, but do tune in tomorrow for more. 